I know we're, we're uh, trying to wrestle with the clock a little bit today. Thank you, Justin. Um, but that's why we've divided this message in two so that we can talk about it this Sunday and next Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday. We want to talk about the idea of being filled with the Spirit. What I want to communicate is not, um, um, you know, a, a catechism of the Assemblies of God position. I'm, I'm not trying to say this is our view of the Spirit-filled life and any other view is wrong. That's not what we're trying to do. Um, uh, we're going to talk about some of those what ifs and what does this mean and what about that. We're going to cover the questions next week. But I want to affirm to you my belief that um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work of grace that's available to all the people of God and has always been available to the people of God. Not every Christian views it as a second work. Some Christians view the fullness of the Spirit as what happens when Christ comes into your heart. Uh, I, I, and I understand that. There's a, there's a reason. The, the two weren't designed to be an experience here and an experience years down the road. I do believe they are two distinct experiences, salvation and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in some degree. And if you've, if you've got my book, The Essentials, there's a couple of chapters on that. I won't take time to write it today. But instead of us drawing a line in the sand that says something like this, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. We don't want to draw that line. We believe that tongues is for everyone. And we'll talk about why next week. But instead of saying, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit, I'd rather approach it this way that I think is a biblical way. I think whenever you are filled with the Spirit, you can speak in tongues. The question of whether or not you do might be dependent on your teaching, uh, who you're sitting next to, what church you're in when the Spirit comes upon you. Um, we'll talk about that, but today I want the emphasis to be on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There are six places in Scripture where the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is used, or baptism of the Holy Spirit, six, six different phrases. Now, if you do a lot of digging around, you can find that somebody will say, well, this one means this, and this one means this, this one means this, this one means this. Um, and I, I had somebody ask me one time, what is the meaning of being baptized in the Spirit? They say, I know I'm filled with the Spirit, but I don't know if I'm baptized with the Spirit. But Lebanon, I want you to know these six phrases are used of the same experience I don't think we've got to walk through six different spirit encounters to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You say, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Well, when you come to Jesus, you are regenerated. You are adopted. You are justified. I mean, there, there's, you know, we did great words of the Christian faith and there are 12 or 13 words that are used to describe what happens to us. When we come to Jesus, but you don't stand before God and get a stamp and say, you're adopted and then move down and get another stamp. You're converted. Move on down. You, you're regenerated. You know, you, you are, you are, uh, uh, whatever, you know, these, these words, these special words were, they were a dozen or so expressions of what happens to you when you become a Christian. 
All of these terms that describe the Christian experience, they are a different way of looking at this same thing called Christianity, the Christian experience. And I think the more the churches divide, you know, even some of us Pentecostals say, well, you're saved, but you're not really sanctified yet. You got to go a little bit further than you get sanctified. And, and then you go a little bit further and something else happens. I don't think there's any biblical basis for that at all. You get the whole shooting match. You, in fact, I believe that the Christian experience of salvation is so dynamic that it cannot be explained by one term. It cannot be explained by six terms. It cannot be explained by 10 terms. All of these dynamics are at work in your life. And I believe that the experience known as the infilling of the Holy Spirit also is described six different ways, at least in the scripture. And that's what we want to talk about today. And let me say this, I, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm not trying to be belligerent, but um, you know, I've, I've been to seminaries that were, you know, reformed theology. I've been to seminaries that were cessationist theology. Um, I've, I've sat through those classrooms and I, I think the church of Jesus in America today is real quick to say, well, yeah, we know this about being baptized in the spirit, but what about being filled with the spirit? What? And they, and they, you know what the church in America has done? They have interpreted the Holy spirit in terms of their cessationism. But can I tell you something? I, and this is not to say our theology is right on everything, you know, but can I tell you something? Every writer of the New Testament spoke in tongues. Every church in the New Testament was a Pentecostal church. You see, I thought the Pentecostal churches came from Azusa Street in the early 1900s. No, when you go back to the early days of the church, every page of scripture was written in the context of Pentecostal theology. Every explanation of a spiritual encounter was from the setting of Pentecostal experience. It's not something that has been, you know, pulled out of its context by Pentecostals and claimed. The only way to understand New Testament um, uh, pneumatology or study of the Holy Spirit, the only way to understand it is to understand that every writer in every church was a full Pentecostal church with the gifts of the Spirit with the gift of tongues, with the outpouring of God's grace in marvelous ways. That's the only way you can interpret the New Testament, unless you do violence to the text. Let's read some things. Now, you're nervous. Some of you are so nervous because this is the day, this is the day that you brought your neighbor who, you know, you're so afraid, I'm going to do something weird, but I'm, I'm for you neighbors, I'm teasing. Um, but I, I do need to say one more thing before we start this trek that's going to take us two weeks to cover. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we Pentecostals emphasize an experience. I remember when I spoke in tongues, and, and I believe in tongues. I, I'm like Paul. I, I don't know if I could really say it. I don't mean, I don't know if it's true, but I would, I would be like Paul. I'd say, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. I speak in tongues every day. I believe in the power of tongues. But it's taken me a while to understand that my issue of whether or not I'm filled with the Spirit does not hinge on whether I spoke in tongues 50 years ago. 
but it hinges on how I'm living today. Look at the doctrine of sanctification, for instance. Um, some churches say, well, sanctification is a definite experience. Others say, no, you got to grow in it. And, but, you know, in actuality, both are true. Whenever you come to Jesus, you are at that moment sanctified. You are never more ready for Jesus, or ready for heaven than the moment you accept Jesus. You don't say, oh, Lord, let me live a couple of years so I can earn my way into heaven. You're never more ready for heaven than the moment Jesus becomes your Lord. John described it this way. Whoever claims him in Lord, as Lord has passed already from death to life. Jesus made it very clear. Those who believe have life. Those who don't believe are dead. It's a very simple thing. It's a point in the sand where you become a Christian. Now, I know that there are different testimonies. I, I can tell you where I know that I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Some of you would say, well, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of, it was a process. And I just, you, you, might, you might be like C.S. Lewis who woke up one day and said, and, and th these were his words, oh my goodness, I've become a Christian. It wasn't that he didn't make a decision, but his, the way his mind worked, it was an intellectual growth. And he, he said, I can't tell you exactly where I crossed the line from death into life or unbelief to belief, but I know I have made that transition. So I understand that. I know not everybody has the same testimony, um, but we understand that there is a point in, from heaven's perspective, even if it, we don't understand it, where we pass from death to life. Sanctification is the same way. When I become a Christian, I am declared holy. I'm separated from what is evil. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm separated <laughs> from what is evil and I'm dedicated to what is good. Okay, that's what sanctified mean. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer for common use. I'm now for special use. But we also know that even though that was a declaration, I have passed from death into life. We also know that there's a whole life of growing and becoming more like Jesus. We talk about this all the time. The scripture says that because of an event in the past, we were saved. Because of an event that's coming in the future, we shall be saved. But we also know that the scripture says we are being saved. And, and that doesn't mean when he says we're being saved, that doesn't mean that Cherry's a little bit more saved today than she was yesterday. No, she's growing. She's becoming more like Jesus. But she is secure in the blood of the lamb, even though she's growing to be more like Jesus, she's still saved. I think we need to start looking at the spirit-filled life that way. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I believe we ought to speak in tongues. I believe, I believe every Christian can speak in tongues. It, it, we, we can't stay after church all afternoon and discuss, well, maybe I haven't because of this. Maybe I haven't because of that. We'll talk about it next week. But I want you to get your eyes off of defining everything in an experience and understand that there are experiences all along the way. Uh, I don't think it's wise to ask God to just, Lord, let me speak in tongues. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if your seeking of the Spirit's fullness is focused on tongues, which I think is part of the Spirit-filled life, you're going to be disappointed or at least frustrated because it's about an embracing 
of the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that the scripture says this wonderful experience is called being baptized in the Spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It's called the Holy Spirit fallen upon you. The Holy Spirit poured out upon you. Filled with the Spirit is another term that's used. And then the last term we'll look at is the admonition where we're told to receive, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to find out in case you get through before I do, I'm going to go right to the end. We're going to find out that these six phrases describing the fullness of the Holy Spirit seek of three things, three things that should, uh, that should be the result. There should be an abundance, there should be an overflowing, and there should be an enablement. Abundance, overflowing, and enablement will come from the Spirit-filled life. But I tell you what welcomes the, the Spirit-filled life uh, here's the other three words, a sense of surrender, a sense of relationship, and a sense of embracing, embracing. Father, teach us as we work through these things quickly today. Acts 1 lays a foundation for us. So when they had come together, they began asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said unto them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times, which the father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And as far as the remotest part of the earth, we know after Jesus was resurrected, uh, that he breathed on the whole, on the, um, disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. This, this experience was going to mark a new era called the church age. Uh, before the Holy Spirit had been with them, the Holy Spirit had come upon them, but now he's going to be a living dynamic of their lives. This is what Paul said to the Ephesians. So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So he draws a line. He says, you can live life full of flesh or you can live life full of the spirit. He said, as a result, you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, our father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now let's quickly, we're just going to lay a foundation today and uh, then we'll, we'll work it out next Sunday. But we are going to do this. When we, when we dismiss, uh, fairly close to normal. I, I, I'm trying to get dismissal at normal time. The emphasis is going to be the embracing, the receiving, and the welcoming of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be upon tongues, though some of you will speak in tongues. It's not going to be upon um, a cookie cutter experience, though some of you may have a cookie cutter experience, but it's going to be what we want to emphasize is Holy Spirit, you are welcome. 
in this vessel and we'll let it look like whatever it looks like. Okay? Boy, this is good preaching. I wish I was out there to hear it. (laughs) There are six New Testament terms. All are synonymous in terms of the experience they describe. Remember, this, these six terms are describing one experience that we are asking God to give us. The first is called baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm giving you some examples of where they're used, not all of them. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He, when he said you're going to be baptized with water, I mean, I mean with the Spirit, he contrasted it with being, uh, or not contrasted it, but compared and contrasted it with being baptized in water. Here's the concept of the idea of being baptized in the Spirit. When you were baptized in the Spirit, just like when you went into the water and the water covered you, When you are baptized in the Spirit, it covers you, but it's more than just a covering. I tell you, I'm so glad, especially all the adults, I'm glad, but I'm so glad all these kids Pastor Bella has baptized that she puts them underwater and then right away she brings them up. She doesn't leave them down there because baptism is a picture of I've died to the old life, I'm buried to it, but I raise from the dead to walk in newness of life. The first idea that is associated in scripture with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the spirit filled life is the idea of penetration. This should be in your notes at the end of each section. I am to be penetrated. I'm to be changed by something. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the word baptize um, is an, is an, an anglicized form of baptizo or in other forms. Um, there, the, 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 uh, when the King James Bible was translated, the scholars didn't know what to do because um, they knew the meaning of baptism and they also knew the king was happy with a sprinkle here and there. Okay, now I'm not picking a fight over the modes of baptism. I'm just telling you, they didn't know how to translate this idea of baptism because it meant immerse. It meant to put under. So they created a new English word called baptize. That's quick thinking on the part of the King James scholars. But the phrase was used in Greek literature, baptizo. It was used for the dying of a garment. And the interesting thing about the dying of a garment, when we come under the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it means that we come under it to the degree that we ought to be different after the experience than we were before. If all you did was utter a few unintelligible uh, uh, syllables and call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're missing the mark. The garment was kept in the dye until it changed from white to red. It was kept in the dye till it changed from, from pink to blue or purple, I guess it would be. So you got to understand when we are being filled with the spirit, we are staying under the spirit's influence so that it penetrates my life and I'm not what I used to be. It was used for the dyeing of a garment. It was used for the dipping of bread into a wine or a sauce. You didn't just 
No, you put the bread in with the, with the meaning. I shouldn't say this this close to lunch, but you put the bread in the gravy to hope that the goodness of the gravy will make its way through the bread. Now, now I, I, and I understand the beauty of that. I, I'm a guy, I personally think gravy should be a beverage. But some of you don't have that conviction yet, but you'll, you will, you will use a biscuit. You'll use cornbread. You'll use whatever, um, to be sure that you get as much of that sauce into you. It was the condition of a sunken ship when a ship was no longer on the water, but this is the way the word baptized was used. When it was no longer on the water, but in the water, now it's in the water and the water's in it. It was even used, I mean, this is classical Greek literature. The same word was used when a man was found dead in a river, he died of baptism. He died of being immersed in the water. So here's number one. If you are going to pray for the Spirit's fullness, it's not, a, it's not some carnal, physical chill. It means that God Almighty penetrates you and you don't walk the way you used to walk. You don't smell the way you used to smell. You don't talk the way you used to talk. Now I praise God for amazing grace, but to be filled with the Spirit, first of all, something divine has penetrated me and has made me something I never was before. Come upon you is the second term. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This was perhaps the clearest Old Testament understanding of the Spirit. Here's the word. First one was penetration. This is the word enablement. That's why when Jesus said, when he comes upon you, you'll be witnesses. Because it gives you an enablement. John 14 verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or known him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you but will be in you. One of my favorite story, uh, verses out of the book of Judges is where it says that, the, that God clothed Gideon with himself. He clothed Gideon with himself. One, uh, it's not really a translation, but it's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Paraphrase. I like the way it puts it. It says, God wore Gideon like a glove. God wore Gideon like a glove. God's hand did the work, but he did it through Gideon. And loved ones, we ought to be interested not only in seeing the Spirit penetrate our lives so that we don't walk, talk like we used to walk and talk, but we also, because of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do what we would never be able to do in the strength of the flesh. Somebody said that this may be a crude way of putting it, but if you have a two acre garden, you can, you can water every plant by getting a two gallon bucket, filling it up, walking out, pouring it on, coming back up, filling it again. And, and all it'll do is take you three days to water the garden. Or you can hook up a garden hose. And it gives you an enablement to do in a matter of maybe an hour what you would not be able to do in several days. It's the idea of enablement. So the Holy Spirit wants to penetrate you and change you 
The Holy Spirit wants to enable you to do what you would not be able to do in yourself. That's why he gives us the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's healing, whether it's a word of prophecy, whether it is a um, uh, message in tongues or miracles, all of those things are an enabling for you to do what you couldn't do otherwise. The spiritual gifts are not personality types. A lot of churches think that, oh, that's, that's, that's what Paul meant. This type of person has this gift, but it's their personality. Baloney, baloney. I do believe that God gives us personalities. And I do believe that our personalities and giftings can match up at times. But I want you to know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he'll not only penetrate your life, but he'll also give you the ability to do what you would not be able to do apart from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, y'all. Keep up. Let's go to number three. The third phrase is fallen upon you. And this is relationship. Justin, would you come and let me demonstrate something? I promise not to hurt you or abuse you in any way. But there's a phrase that was used in several ways in the scripture when the man was going from Jericho to Jerusalem and was attacked by thieves. There's a phrase that was used that said the thieves fell upon him. They fell upon him. They came upon him and it was in close proximity. When in scripture, a loved one saw another loved one. Like when, when uh, Joseph and Jacob were, were reunited, they fell upon each other. So when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you did good and yeah, it didn't hurt you. Um, that's how I found out how strong Pastor Glenn was years ago. I, I, I jumped on him without giving him a heads up and he survived it. But... Uh, <laughs> The Holy Spirit also wants to fall upon you. And what that means is he wants to move into relationship with you so that he not only changes you, and it's not a force change, he not only enables you where he makes you do something, but you're walking in relationship. You know, the early church, when they were trying to settle the difficult question about whether you had to become a Jew first before you could become a Christian, and, and, and it's, it's used in two different places. The phrase is used that reads like this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And both times when you read that, you find that those that were searching for truth had a relationship where the Holy Spirit bore witness with them. They understood the will of God because the Spirit had fallen upon them and they had relationship. When Paul in Acts uh, chapter 16, I think it was, when he said, I, I, don't, I, I tried to go west, I tried to go north, and finally uh, when, I, when I went the other way, the, 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 we discerned from the Holy Spirit that this was the direction he wanted us to go. Paul started in two wrong directions, but the Holy Spirit said no. Uh, uses a strong word, says the Holy Spirit forbade us to go in this direction. And the Spirit gave a dream because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, your young men shall, shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. 
poor and rich, young and old. He said, this is going to be the language of the church. You're going to see dreams and have visions. And, and God gave them a, a dream, gave Paul a dream in which there was a man from Macedonia. And Paul recognized he was from Macedonia because of the way he was dressed. And he said, come over and help us. And Paul said, I understood by the spirit that he was saying, go to Macedonia. Go in that direction. So it's the idea of relationship. Uh, Acts 10, when Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those that heard the word. This is in the household of Cornelius. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, had been poured out and fallen upon uh, the, the um, uh, 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 the Gentiles, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Uh, Acts 11, and he describes it this way. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. See, he used that phrase, fallen upon you. But he says, that's the same thing John was talking about when he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The idea is relationship. So if I'm going to be filled with the spirit, it means I welcome his penetration into my life. I welcome him changing my essence. I welcome him changing my core being. Now I know that that happens when we become Christians, but I also want to say this, even though we teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace, I don't think it ought to be separated far at all from our coming to the Lord. In fact, I long for the day when we have people that give their heart to Jesus and they, be, they feel like they're filled with the Spirit at that same moment. But that's another subject for another time. There's, um, there's a fourth one, okay? Relationship, enablement, penetration. It's the phrase poured out upon you. It's a little different than fallen. Then this Jesus... God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. And when you see this phrase used, especially in the old Testament, it's the idea of abundance. God doesn't say, Oh, you want to be filled with the spirit? Oh, let me give you about a shot glass. No, no. It's the idea of a pouring out. Uh, it's the idea of, you know, the, the river of God. We think of Ezekiel. Sometimes it feels ankle deep. Sometimes it seems knee deep. Sometimes it seems waist deep. But what we find out is we're in a river that overflows us. So there's an idea of abundance. And that's why you and I need to understand when we're filled with the spirit, even though we may be in the toughest place imaginable, don't be surprised if an abundance of presence, an abundance of joy, an abundance of peace comes to you at the most unreasonable times because he gives us the Holy Spirit in abundance. Now, I know we have a measure of faith and I know that Jesus is the only one who received the Holy Spirit without measure. I know that. But I want to tell you, even though I do not have the Holy Spirit without measure, I have more than enough of the Spirit that I'm swimming in deep water. 
I have more than enough that I'm in over my head. So the concept is abundance. Let's go to number five. Justin's getting hungry. Number five, one of the most universally used terms to describe this experience is the idea of being filled with the spirit. Now, let me just point out some examples of this. In Acts 2, 4, it was a definite experience at a point in time. We, we find that happening also in Acts chapter 19. Paul asked the, that little collection of Ephesian believers, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed? And um, they said, we've not so much as even heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. We've not heard the teaching about the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul knew if they had really gone into Christianity with full knowledge, they would know who the Holy Spirit is because the baptismal formula is we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They said, we've just been baptized into John's baptism. Now, John's baptism was good. It was a baptism of repentance. But like Apollos, they had heard Messiah was coming, but did not know all the details of the wonderful news that Jesus brought. So Paul prayed for them, these men that were described as believers, and they all received the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Well, that's the way it was in Acts 2.4. It's a definite experience at a point in time. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd been prayed for for two or three Sunday nights. I, I, the, the, the precious, precious saints of my home church tried to help me. They grabbed my golly hopper and tried to make me speak in tongues. I remember one lady telling me to let go and another lady telling me to hold on and Humble yourself, bury your head in the altar and look up. The Holy Ghost don't come from down there. He comes from up here. And on the third Sunday night, I realized that being a young uh, 11 year old boy had its advantages. I crawled under the, the front pew where they couldn't fit. And I got under there and on my face, I just said, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know that I want to speak in tongues. I know I want to be filled with the spirit. Lord, whatever it looks like, I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. And then I remember him coming and my mom said that I looked like some kind of wind up toy. I bounced out from under the, the bench on my nose, speaking in tongues, just backed out that way. <laughs> she said, only God could have done that, you know, but it was a definite experience at a point in time. But Acts 4, 8 tells us that it's a condition of life because in Acts 4, 8, there were those, they were threatened by the legal authority and they had already been filled with the spirit. These were the saints from Acts 2. But as they prayed and asked God for help, they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. He came with fresh, renewing power. Uh, it was a recurring experience as is borne out in Acts 4.31. Um, uh, I've known some people that said, I spoke in tongues 30 years ago and I haven't spoken tongues since then, but I believe I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get into that argument with them. I'm not going to tell people who haven't spoken tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. I'm not going down that path. It's the most unproductive path we can take. All I can tell you is it's there for you. And you've got to work out with the Lord those kind of details. Um, but we see in Acts 9 
that um, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit was an initial baptism for Paul as in 2.4. This phrase relates the idea of continual source resulting in overflowing sufficiency and abundance. The result was a promise of continual provision of the Holy Spirit's power. In the book of Zechariah, I read most of it this morning, and it described large lamps connected by pipes to bowls, which were in turn connected to the olive trees. Now the, the oil represented the presence of the spirit and Zechariah was shown by the Lord. Let me show you what this looks like. It's not just vessels that get poured in a lamp. It's not just, it's not just oil that's in a bowl. It's oil that is connected to a never ending source. The, the lamps, the bowls, it was all connected to the olive tree. And the idea was overflowing. The fullness of the Spirit works the dynamic of overflowing. Here's the last thing, and we'll wrap it up. The phrase, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we think of what God does. He baptizes us in the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon you with enablement. He falls upon you for relationship. He's poured out upon you, speaking of abundance. He, he is, we are filled with him to the point of overflowing a never-ending supply of the oil of God's spirit. But the last one reads a little bit different. And it puts emphasis on the idea that we are to receive, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and now it shifts from something God does for us to something we do. We embrace. We embrace. We embrace. Then Peter said to them in Acts 2, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Loved ones, I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal and in our zeal to have every Christian receive the Spirit's fullness, we have sometimes come across as making others feel that they are less than us. And that's not what we should be doing. I never liked the, the slogan that the Assemblies of God used for years. It was that little phrase, all the gospel. Well, I understand why people like John MacArthur are so mad and hate us so much because we're saying we have all the gospel. You don't. It's the wrong approach to take. This Sunday is not about if you're not one of us, you can be. This Sunday is not about your life is second class if you've not had this experience or that experience. We're walking away from that, although we believe fully in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is this, of all that the Bible teaches about what the Holy Spirit does for us, it hinges on the idea of receiving, of receiving the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm gonna give you an abundance, an overflowing, an enablement, he said, and what I need from you is your surrender, your embracing of the relationship. And when you embrace what I want to give, then something magical begins to happen. Missionary told me one time about an experience he had. And uh, 
he said he had a, he was friends with another missionary. They were on a foreign field and the missionary friend spoke to the Pentecostal missionary and he said, I've never had an experience like you're talking about. I know I love the Lord, but I don't feel full of the spirit. I want you to pray for me. He said, I've asked God over and over and over and over again, and God's done nothing. And, uh, he, he, uh, he said, well, there's a place out in the jungle that we go to. And he said, I think I can say everybody that's gone to that place has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you want to go there, I'll take you. And the man said, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. So they went down river a little ways, got out, tied the boat off, started walking through the jungle. And as they started walking, the spirit filled pastor started talking about the fullness of the spirit and how the spirit made him love the word more and made him love Jesus more. The spirit gave him gifts. And uh, he, he said about four times while we were walking, the man started crying and he said, that's what I want. That's what I want. Is this the place I can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he's, he, because they had argued back and forth theologically. He said, is this the place you can pray for me? He said, no, we're not there yet. He went on and on. And four times he said, the man said, are we there yet? I, I, I want to receive this gift. And he was just talking about how beautiful it was. He said, at the fifth place we went to, the man dropped to his knees, tears flowing down his cheeks. He says, I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I don't care what my seminary thinks. I don't care what my denomination thinks. I want this experience that caused you to love Jesus more. I want it with all of my heart. And the Pentecostal missionary looked at him, smiled and said, now we're at the place where you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, we could waste our time scheduling appointments and scheduling Sundays arguing back and forth about the theological argument, or we can decide that we're just going to receive what God has. It, it, you don't have to ex accept my teaching or my translation about every verse. If you don't mind being wrong, I don't mind you being wrong. <laughs> you know, hey guys, you know, I'm kidding, but I tell you what I do know. I know that if everybody in church that was so defensive of their theological training or so defensive of what they uh, have not experienced or what they have experienced. I know if we could just transfer that to Lord, just fill me, fill me to overflowing. Even those of you that speak in tongues, it might do you good to lay all of the stuff aside and just say, Lord, fill me afresh and anew because the days that are ahead if we're going to bring in the harvest, if we're going to do what God wants us to do, the days ahead will be accomplished by people that are pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit and people that open their heart and say, use me. Now, I, I, know, I know doctrine matters and I know that error is never to be embraced, uh, even in the name of I just want Jesus. I know that we have to have good theology but I'm saying it's him that leads you into all truth, not your denomination, not the assemblies of God. I'm AG, but it's not the assemblies of God that leads me into all truth. It's the spirit. And, and, and I, 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 boy, I better rephrase that. That is leading me into all truth. I don't mean for a moment that I have arrived, 
But whatever stripe you may be, whatever your experience has been, it's, it's here. It's here. It's here for you. James Robinson, 35 years ago, I heard him say, before God set me free, he said it was like the devil had a claw hammer in my brain. He said, before God set me free, he said, I kept meeting with Dudley Hall and some others. And I kept bringing up theological questions. I kept bringing up bad examples. I kept bringing up this, that, and the other. And this is what James Robinson said. He said, Dudley and these guys kept saying, do you want to be filled? Whatever his argument, do you want to be filled? Well, how do you answer that? I don't know how to answer it. But James, do you want to be filled? And loved ones, I just want to ask you this question. Do you want to be filled? I'm done. Well, I'm not done, but the clock says I am. And we want the ministry team to be ready for those who would like to stay. We want you to feel free to come forward, wait in the presence of the Lord, just worship with the ministry team. And if you come and stand along the front here, the, the altar workers, will, will, they'll just come behind you and they will pray for you. And you're welcome to stay as long in the presence of God as you want to. If you're not comfortable with that format, I understand, go out to my right and your left to the foyer there. And Brown Chapel, they'll give you the directions on how they're handling it there. Father, we thank you that you made a promise you said, I will not leave you as orphans. I won't leave you alone. But the Father will send the Holy Spirit and he'll remind you of everything that I've said. He will lead you into all truth. And Father, I, I think I've become aware more than any time in my life. I need the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead my life. I need the indwelling Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and understanding that my natural mind can't bring. So we say, come Holy Spirit, come. We're asking you to come. I'm asking you to come to people that are watching live stream, fill their homes, fill their automobiles with the presence of God. Lord, those that'll be watching it later online, fill them, fill them, fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Father, those that come forward today on campus, fill us, fill us, fill us. Lord God, come, fill us. Be poured out upon us. Come upon us, fall upon us. Be poured out upon us. And help us to receive. Lord, we embrace everything you're pouring out into our lives. We embrace it. We embrace it. Lord, we say, Holy Spirit, come on your terms, not ours. Come, Holy Spirit, on your terms, not ours. Come, Holy Spirit, in ways we don't even understand. Come, come, come. We embrace you. We welcome you. We pledge ourselves to you in Jesus' name.